If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 707. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, forgotten founder, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that, but purchase a class or 20 there, and you get great content, and you keep this podcast free of charge. You can also click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. If you're watching on YouTube, click on the super thanks button under the video. Throw a few pennies my way that way. Subscribe at anchor.fm. You can become a member there and help support the show there. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always... Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Give it that five-star review. Comment on YouTube. That helps bump it up the charts so people see the show. And as always, share it around on social media. Let people know you like it. Let people know you're listening to the show. Tell your friends, your enemies, your family about it. That way we get more listens and, of course, more people start thinking locally and acting locally. All right. Well, let's talk about the couple of things. We're going we're gonna to shift to the Constitution these next couple of days, today and tomorrow, for the show. And uh, I'm going to start today with a piece that was in the Washington Post by Jennifer Rubin. And if there's anybody that's worse than Max Boot, it's Jennifer Rubin. They're both right in the same camp. I mean, these are people that at one time called themselves conservatives, and now they've decided conservatives are bad. So uh, Rubin has written a piece at the Washington Post, published, uh, let's see, on September 14th. And uh, the title is funny. Uh, Elena Kagan to her colleagues, you're why the Supreme Court has lost legitimacy. So here we have uh, Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan castigating her fellow justices on the bench because it's their fault that the Supreme Court has lost legitimacy. Not the left's fault. Not all the lefties. You see, this is hilarious to me. What Kagan essentially is saying, and I'm going to get into this piece, but what she's saying is that, you know what, your activism has caused people not to trust the court. Now, I find this all fascinating because, you see, the left for years considered the court to be completely legitimate while it was being activist. But when the court uses the same activism to go in the other direction, then it's not legitimate anymore. When Donald Trump wins the 2016 election, the Democrats can cry foul and say he's not legitimate. When Joe Biden wins the 2020 election and Donald Trump cries foul, well, we've got to investigate and do all we can to get rid of this guy so he never runs for office again. You see, this is the major problem with nationalism. I talked about it last week. I've talked about it this week. But it is really the major problem with nationalism, the central authority, is that when conservatives start talking about nationalism, and they think, well, if we just could... If we could just nash, create a one-people ideology, and of course everyone rallies around that, it's, it's in the op- opposition to globalism. I mean, give me a break. The Democrats and the left and the establishment, yeah, they're globalists, but they're also extreme nationalists. They believe that everything should come from the center, 
And you know what? We're more than likely to get, as I was talking with a colleague about this, and he said this, we're more than likely to get a leftist fascist than we are anything else. And we have it, right? I mean, this is what we have in America right now. Conservatives that somehow think that we're going to get control of the center and then we're going to be able to run the country and do all these, they're living in a dream world. It's a fantasy world. It's never going to happen. You know what's more likely to happen? What we're seeing right now. The left gets control of everything and they abuse the tar out of their political opponents. We're, we're going to see that happen more times than not with strong central power. And the fact that the Democrats are whining about the Supreme Court right now it's hilarious because from the 1950s, really, you can even go back to the 40s. Beginning in the the 40s, you could even say during the administration of Franklin Roosevelt into the 30s, but really beginning in the 40s, you started to see a major shift left on the court. And what the Democrats figured out is that they could use the court to enforce all of their unpopular uh, culture war agenda. I mean, this is what they did. And so... If the conservatives somehow gain control of the court, the originalists, which I would even say that the majority of the court is not really originalist. I mean, they still believe in the 14th Amendment, and the, et cetera, et cetera. But if they could gain control of the court and they start to undo some of this stuff, which frankly, as I've talked about on the show before, really doesn't have a whole lot of basis in the original Constitution. This is the piece last week where you had a law professor whining about the fact that well, originalism is dangerous because, well, I mean, if we have that, uh, then all these things that we did are going to be undone because they know, they know they can't get it through the legislative channel. They know that they can't, uh, if, if you have an originalist interpretation, the original constitution does not allow for this stuff. I mean, they know it's really unconstitutional. So they're using the court as an extra legal method. Well, here you have Elena Kagan standing up and saying, hey, the problem with this is that we're, we're, we're legislating from the bench, <laughs> which is hilarious. Now, uh, Rubin actually makes a valid point, one part of the essay, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it when we get there. But this is the same Jennifer Rubin, of course, that you know has said all kinds of stupid things at the Washington Post. But So she says, if Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr., Notice how she lists his whole name, John G. Roberts Jr. Not just John Roberts. John G. Roberts Jr. John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. I mean, that's kind of what you're getting at. His chief justice, uh, making, kind of making fun of his name, John G. Roberts Jr. Has chosen to close his eyes to the Supreme Court's role in its own legitimacy crisis and defend his radical colleagues. Justice Elena Kagan has chosen to be a clear-eyed truth-teller. If he's chosen to close his eyes and defend his radical con, kind of like the left did for decades on the court, when you had William Brennan essentially say, well, you know what we can do? If I can get five votes, I can do anything I want. The Constitution really doesn't matter anymore. And you had every leftist giving cover for these morons. So, I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> There's no difference. The, 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 the hypocrisy in all this is just hilarious. The left now, we got to abolish the Supreme Court. We got to pack the Supreme Court. We got to do it. We got we to damage the court. We can't have all these things happen. The court can't work against us. You see, as in the situation of any time in American history, right? We can go back to the 18th century and talk about the Federalists. Go back to that point. What was the real issue there? Power. 
The Federalists were worried about their power, which is why they were advocating secession in 1794, in 1801, in 1804. They understood that they were losing control of the central government, and so they tried to do everything in their power. These were the nationalists, quote-unquote, really New England sectionalists, which is all this is too, right? What we're looking at in America, the, na- the, the leftists who think they're majority, they're in two different little enclaves of America. So you have sectionalism disguised as nationalism. And in this case, it's not just a section, it's cities, right? It's urbanism against ruralism. So the urbanites believe that they are the majority. We should run the government for them and like them and by them. And everyone else be damned. Okay, but what was about in the early 19th century was power. Then you start, they figure out, these Federalists figure out, these old Federalists, well, you know what, what's the one issue? All these farmers, we've got all these farmers out there, they're going to be problems for us. What's the one issue that Midwestern farmers and Southern farmers are going to disagree on? And of course, that was the extension of slavery or slavery in the Western territories. Well, Midwestern farmers didn't want it there. They didn't want slavery there. They didn't want blacks there to begin with. They didn't want anybody there besides white farmers. So what they, what the Federalists in the New England enclave figured out is we can make that a political issue, then we can gain control of the government. And Charles Sumner, of course, this is the Radical Republicans class of McClanahan Academy, Charles Sumner wanted to make America New England again, and this was the vehicle to do it. So we have an issue. As Jefferson Davis pointed out, which is my next class of McClanahan Academy, which, by the way releases in just a couple of days, so you're going to want that one. What Jefferson Davis pointed out the entire time was this is all about power. It's all about sectional aggrandizement. It's about power. Who can control the reins of government? Well, this is what we're seeing now. right? This, all this stuff, all these little issues don't really matter. It's all about power. The left has lost power over the court. And they don't like it, so they're going to try to do whatever they can to get the power back. The left is pulling out every trick in the book to try to ensure that they control Congress, that they try to ensure that they believe that Donald Trump is the only guy that can beat Joe Biden or knock the left out. I think they're fooling themselves. As a matter of fact, I mean, I think that someone like Ron DeSantis could do it better than than Donald Trump. But uh, DeSantis, as I've said on the show, I think would be better to stay in Florida. I think we need strong governors everywhere because governors are doing exactly what we're seeing right now where they're shipping out illegal uh, aliens and sending them to to sanctuary cities and doing all these things, which is hilarious, right? Because it's in the, in the, the way the Democrats are freaking out about this and they're being asked, well, wait a second, you did the exact same thing. You took illegal aliens and you put them in red states uh, in the cover of darkness. What's the difference? Well, uh, the difference is we didn't do that for political reasons. Uh, well, who's to say that these... Red states are doing this for political reasons. They can't, they can't feed them, take care of them, so they're going to send them to sanctuary cities where, of course, you said that they're welcome, so you send them there, right? I mean, you take care of them. You want them, you take care of them, right? So this is, this is the funniest part about it. The hypocrisy of the left knows no bounds. Now, I could say that the right is not always consistent too, particularly with the court. But anyways, let's get back into the piece because, again, the leftist... Now, the clear-eyed truth-teller part is just hilarious because conservatives were saying these exact same things about 20 years ago, right, before they controlled the court. You know what the real problem is? The court, an extra-legal legislative body. It's not supposed to do all this stuff. But anyways, on Monday, she let loose a burst of refreshing clarity during a talk at Temple Emanuel in New York. Judges create legitimacy problems for themselves when they instead stray into places where it looks like they're an extension of the political process or when they're imposing their own personal preferences. 
Now, this is Elena Kagan saying this. That's a direct quote from her. Has Elena Kagan not done that on the bench? Of course she has. Where is the self-awareness here? Where is the self-reflection? Because she does the exact same thing. She does the exact same thing. You could argue that her dissents, when she's not in the majority, are the exact same thing. Those are her own personal preferences that she's articulating in those dissents. Not that of the law. She's not really upholding the Constitution. She's legislating from the bench. This is what the right has said about these lefties. But now that the, that the conservatives have simply said, let's just take the Dobbs decision. You know what? This isn't really an area for the federal government to legislate, so let the states legislate on it. That's not, that's not legislating from the bench. It's saying you legislate on it. This, we legislated from the bench in 1973. That was the wrong thing to do. So here, let the states handle this. That's all we're saying. Now, in the case of the New York pistol and rifle decision, I think the, the court was wrong in that, and I'm on the record of saying that. But anyways, she added that the public has a right to expect that, quote, changes in personnel don't send the entire legal system up for grabs. Well, who started this mess, right? When, when Robert Bork was... Uh, nominated for the bench. I talked about this last week. Who's the, who was the group that really started the politicization of the Supreme Court? Well, it was the Democrats. Bork was simply saying, look, all these things that you've done, this is legislating from the bench. We're going to undo it. Of course, he didn't have the majority at that time, but we're going to undo it. And what the Democrats do, they flipped out of this because they want to legislate from the bench. They want to do the exact thing that Lena Kagan is complaining about, supposedly. That's a clear indictment of these six right-wing justices, as you're going to hear. Indeed, Kagan made a few irrefutable points while eviscerating Roberts' feigned cluelessness. First, she makes clear that the problem is undeniable. The public's confidence in the court has cratered, and wide swaths of the public believe it's too partisan. Well, wait a second. Kagan just says the problem is we've politicized the court too much, and now Rubin is saying we're relying on polls to decide if the court is good or not. It's supposed to be above politics. It really doesn't matter what opinion polls say about the court if you're not politicizing the court. Which one are we going to do here? Are we going to politicize the court or are we not going to politicize the court? This is inconsistent. But again, it's stupid. It's Jeff typical Jennifer Rubin, who's not very bright. Roberts would have us believe the public is simply reacting to a decision it does not like. Kagan scoffs at the suggestion. Something is very wrong, she acknowledges. Um, are you sure about that? Yeah, something's very wrong. It's people like you on the bench, right? That's what's very wrong. Second, she recognizes that there is no mass delusion underlying the public's frustration with the court. Conservatives used to take responsibility for their actions, but that was before the MAGA era of victimhood in which all ills, including their own debacles, are blamed on elites, liberal media, or fake news. Kagan understands there is a reason for the public's repudiation of the Supreme Court, and that's the court's own conduct. So the conservatives aren't taking responsibility for their for their mess. This is they're blaming everybody. It's just victims. Who are the most vociferous victims in America? The left. Everything is victims. They're victims of everything. They don't control anything in their lives. It's all about. Uh, structural racism or white supremacy or the patriarchy or anything. The reason that their life stinks is because of everybody else. They don't take control. They don't take accountability for anything. Nothing. It's all about somebody else. I can, I will say that America has become a victim society with a capital V. Everybody's a victim now. It's somebody else's fault. 
somebody else's fault. If something happens that I don't like, well, somebody else caused that. I didn't do anything. Left and right are doing this, right? But uh, the left has a monopoly on victimhood in America. Their entire argument is based on victimhood. The Constitution is racist. The Declaration is racist. Government's racist. There's structural racism everywhere. There's structural sexism. There's structural everything. Everything is structured to where I can't get ahead and I can't do anything, except I'm Jennifer Rubin on a newspaper writing op-eds that most people can't do and getting paid well for it. But apparently, she is a victim. Third, she identifies the primary catalyst for the court's present crisis, the gutting of precedent by the newest justices. Now, see, here is the thing. The gutting of precedent. See, Jennifer Rubin really doesn't understand the job of the court, I guess. Now, you could say that uh, if we go by the British legal model, the common law model, well, then precedent matters, right? But we have a written constitution. The job of the court, if you want to believe in judicial review, is to ensure that the written constitution is properly understood and adhered to by congressional legislation. Not state legislation, by the way. That's the other issue. Because you see what the court is doing most of these times, most of these these decisions that are controversial is because they're knocking down state laws that they really have no control over anyways. They're, they've formed, they've created a federal negative of state law, and that should never happen. In fact, the Constitution would not have been ratified if anyone thought that would happen. It was explicitly rejected in Philadelphia explicitly rejected. You can go back and read the debates in the Philadelphia Convention, and it's right there. If you take my originalist papers course at McClanahan Academy, I get into detail how this was something that the founding generation would not have tolerated. Even John Marshall said as much in the Virginia Ratifying Convention. This is the point, right? The problem is that precedent is often based on activism. So what the right the right-wingers, quote-unquote, on the court have done is uh, invalidate bad court decisions to begin with that were not based on the Constitution, but based on, let's go back up to Elena Kagan's comment, uh, the extension of the political process or their own personal beliefs. That's what it was all based on. Even people that supported the Roe decision, for example, said, this is a bad decision. It's not based on anything, just personal opinion. So what the right has done is said, these were bad decisions. These were political decisions at the time. That's not a good decision. We're going to move on. The dissent in Dobbs made plain the absence of any objective rationale for dispensing with nearly 50 years of precedent on abortion rights. Well, that's not true. That's not true at all. Now, you could argue with the history and how they did it, but it was simple. The decision could have been written in like two sentences. The... Federal government has no role in this process at all. It's a state issue, and it goes back to the states. That's it. The Tenth Amendment clearly explains that this is a state issue. There's nothing in the federal constitution that allows this general government to do any of this, so it goes back. That's it. But 50 years of precedent, not, no, wait a second, not legislation, not the constitution, 50 years of precedent. You see, Jennifer Rubin is a dope. So is Elena Kagan in reality. They're dopes. As she and Justices Stephen G. Breyer and Sonia Sotomayor wrote, quote, The court reverses course today for one reason and one reason only, because the composition of this court has changed. They continued, stare decisis, this court 
has often said, contributes to the actual and perceived integrity of the judicial process by ensuring that decisions are found in the law rather than in proclivities of individuals. Today, the proclivities of individuals rule. The court departs from its obligation to faithfully and impartially apply the law. Well, that's not what they were doing in 1973. It's not what they're doing here. They're just saying this goes back to the states where it belonged to begin with. Same thing with a lot of other stuff, as Clarence Thomas pointed out in his concurring opinion. If we're really going to go down this path, and we should, all these things go back to the states too. Even though the majority doesn't want to deal with that yet. I mean, they're, they, oh, well, this isn't, this is just on this one issue. Well, all these other issues, we're still going to use the 14th Amendment. But this one issue, so you can actually make a case that they're, they're splitting hairs here. They shouldn't. They should just say, you know what? All this stuff is unconstitutional. That would have been the right decision. Because of the Dobbs decision, all of these things are unconstitutional. All of it. All of this legislation, all of these court decisions are overturned. You see, that would have been the right decision to make. Because the court for years, for decades, has been acting as a legal arm of the Democratic Party. As a political arm of the Democratic Party to get what they want when they can't legislate it. Now, the question I would ask, and of course conservatives point out, well, this is the case then. If we want to uphold precedent, well, then we got to go back to the slaughterhouse cases. Well, why didn't we uphold that precedent? Why didn't we do that? I mean, if you want to go by precedent, then... Brown v. Board of Education would be a bad decision, for example. Or, I mean, we can go back and point out because that would, that would undo Plessy v. Ferguson and all these things. Well, why is precedent important here but not here? Right? Why is that? There's no answer for that. Uh, 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 because of politics, right? There's no answer for this. This is the funniest part about all of it. The dissenters call the majority opinion for what it is. Partisan hackery. Yeah, that's what it was. So simply what happened is that some states, nothing changed. Though I did point out, uh, again on social media, there was a horrible uh, car accident in California. A nurse from Texas was driving like 130 miles an hour and hit some people. And uh, killed uh, several people. And one of the women was pregnant. And so there were five people plus the unborn child that were killed. And so she's being charged with murder of six people in California, which it makes you scratch your head. Well, if that's the case, if this woman can be charged for murder, for killing an unborn fetus, well, what does that say about all the people that go to clinics in California? I mean, it's just, does that make any sense? Of course not. But regardless... On the day after the Dobbs decision, nothing changed in California or New York or Massachusetts. Nothing really changed anywhere except for the states that wanted to regulate and legislate on this issue the way they saw fit. That's the only thing. And this is why it was always funny to me when all these idiots were out protesting in California. For what? You woke up and nothing changed in your state. Your liberal utopia continues to exist. Why do you care what everybody else does somewhere else? See, the issue is that we don't have a real federal sensibility in America anymore. That we have a federal republic, a union of states where political communities and political cultures are different, and that's okay. And you're not going to get that with nationalism. You're not going to get that on the right or the left when you have nationalists. You can't do that because you see the right-wing nationalists, the, what they're calling themselves Christian nationalists now, want to make everything like Oklahoma. The left-wing nationalists want to make everything like California. Well, you know what? I'm fine with Oklahoma being Oklahoma and California being California and Alabama being Alabama and Massachusetts being Massachusetts. I'm fine with that. 
Because those places, if, that, if you can contain California in California, I'm good. Because I don't want to live like California. You give any of these groups keys to the Ferrari, which is the general government, or maybe it's a Brugatti now, it's so expensive, or one of these new hypercars, right? Which, you know, you give them the keys to that, and they're going to run right over you. So this was uh, the dissenters. Quote, the majority has overruled Roe and Casey for one and only one reason, because it has always despised them, and now it has the votes to discard them, they wrote. The majority thereby substitutes a rule by judges for the rule of law. Wait, wait a second here. A rule by judges. No, no, no. The rule by judges was Roe v. Wade and Casey. That was a rule by judges. There's no rule of law there. Nothing. There was, it was an embarrassing decision. So these people are complaining about something that they did themselves. This is the funniest part about all of it. The dissenters correctly predicted the firestorm the decision would unleash and warned that the majority in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which refused to overrule Roe v. Wade, had it right. Quote, the American public, they thought, should never conclude that its constitutional protections hung by a thread, that a new majority adhering to a new doctrinal school could by dint of numbers alone expunge their rights. It's not a doctrinal school. It's how the Constitution was ratified, you idiots. This is the problem with all these stupid people. This is all just stupid. And these people are Supreme Court justices. They're still stupid. This is just hackery. You want to talk about hackery? That decision, that, that dissent, I should say, is hackery. That's pure political hackery. But the dissent concluded, it's hard. No, it's impossible to conclude that anything else has happened here. Oh, well, wait a second. Because they relied on federalism? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's pretty important. Federalism. The unknown ideal, right? Because they relied on the way the Constitution was ratified. You can't find any legal justification for Roe v. Wade in the Constitution itself. So we're just going to legislate for it because that's what we think the public wants and the public needs. And we're justices and we can do that. So we're going to do it. Kagan went one step further on Monday, pointing out that there is a price to be paid for the attitude that Roe can go by the wayside simply because the right-wing justices have the votes. That's not why. Because it's unconstitutional. It was an unconstitutional decision. It was a bad decision from the beginning. They may have the votes, but they cannot control the widespread revulsion when the court rips through precedent and dislikes. For if we get, we've got the votes is the controlling sentiment, then it follows that the justices should be treated like politicians with binding ethics rules, term limits, and greater transparency on decisions to recuse themselves from cases, for example. So um, there's been times lefties should have recused themselves and they didn't do it. I mean, again, when you point one finger, you got three pointing back at you. And this is exactly what Kagan should be worried about. All these, just, all these left-wingers on the bench should just shut up. Because for years, they did this exact same stuff, and now they're whining about it? Kagan should just keep her mouth shut, but she's not going to because she's a Yankee liberal, and this is what Yankee liberals like to do, run their mouths on things that they think they're going to have the moral high ground on. This is Yankee self-righteous delusional disorder. This is what it is. YSRDD. It's a real condition. I've talked about it on this podcast before. It's a real condition. Uh, and it's Karenism, right? So she's Karening from, from the bench, from, from saying these things. She's being a Karen. So then Rubin says, Dobbs is not the only reason for the court's plunge in credibility. The right-wing justices' rewriting of voting laws 
their assault on the administrative state, their inconsistent application of state power. That's the one thing where I would agree with Rubin on this. I do think the conservatives on the court are inconsistent in applying state power. They should not have struck down the New York state rifle and pistol decision. Uh, they should not have struck down the New York law in that, in that decision, right? The New York law should have, st- should have stood because this is a state issue. But, as Thomas points out, so are all these other sacred cows the left wants. So if we're going to use incorporation, we're going to incorporate that too. Right? What the Dobbs decision did is just basically say, look, there's nothing in the Bill of Rights that allows for this. Right? So we can't incorporate this. So there you go. Uh, Now, um, when you live by incorporation, you die by incorporation. And, of course, at some point, if the Democrats get control of the bench, somebody will sue and all this will get overturned again. This is why we need real federalism and people just need to tell the court, up yours, you know, go away. We're not going to listen to you anymore. This is what Thomas Jefferson essentially said. This is what what Andrew Jackson supposedly said. You know, Marshall's made his decision. I'll let him enforce it. I mean, this is what he said, right? So... The problem is that we have a court that's going beyond the scope of its constituted power. It's knocking down state laws it shouldn't knock down. It's knocking down federal laws it should knock down, but it's knocking down state laws it shouldn't. And their thumb on the scale treatment of the establishment clause have all taken their toll. Now, again, this, these decisions, I said this, where the Supreme Court gets involved in a state issue. First of all, in in Washington state, the the state of Washington should not care what the First Amendment says. It should care what its own constitution says about this issue. And the Supreme Court has no control over that, over a high school coach, right? Over a high school coach leading prayer on the football field. This is an issue for the state, not for the federal government. It's ridiculous. This is just stupidity. But again... The problem is we do have inconsistency on the issue of federalism. If we had real consistency, a lot of this stuff wouldn't even be before the court. It would just be decided by the states, and that would be it. She says, all these things have taken their toll. So has the majority's manipulation of the shadow docket and partisan screeds by right-wing justices in public settings. Wait a second. Do we not just see a left-winger do the exact same thing? Uh... This is what Elena Kagan is doing. But somehow the right-wingers are doing this. Uh, Or how about former justices like uh, Kennedy, you know, writing things. Or, I mean, you can go out, you can go down the list where where left-wing justices have produced documents, books, op-eds, where they've blasted the court. I mean, you can go down, you can can find this stuff all over the place. Left-wing screeds are out there. But only the right wing is doing this. This is where, again, Jennifer Rubin's a dope. First class dope. The only question now is whether justices will follow Roberts' effort to dissemble and blame others or whether they will listen to Kagan's call for the court to act. Well, like a court. If the former, the court stature is bound to decline further. Yeah. Right. Uh, If you listen to you, you know, the court's... But again, who really cares what the public says about the court? The court's job is to uphold the Constitution. If the public doesn't like it, they can act in their states. They can amend the Constitution. They can do all kinds of things. But the court's job is to defend the Constitution the way it's written and the way it is there. And if they don't do that, then they're not really doing their job. All right. So I found this piece to be hilarious. 
And uh, Jennifer Rubin is just awful anyway. So I had to cover this. You know, Max Boot and uh, Jennifer Rubin are, you know, birds of a feather. But all right. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.